Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hey guys, today on the show, we've got Tyler Chesser. He's uh, got an amazing story. He's a multifamily investor. He's a co-founder of CF Capital. He started out in the corporate world. He became a broker, was doing single family like a, like a lot of folks, and then started brokering multifamily stuff, but really went through a mindset shift, changed his peer group, and was able to start doing these bigger deals to where today they're closing you know, a 250-unit deal, looking at another 150-unit deal, and, and that's a relatively short period of time. So they built a great company around a solid set of core values, and this Tyler is like a, a lifelong learner and entrepreneur. I love it. That's just the kind of person I like to talk to. So there's a lot he's going to unpack about his journey. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it from a passive investor perspective, from uh, you know an aspiring operator perspective, or if you're an existing operator, I think there's going to be nuggets in there in his journey. And you start to see similarities in a lot of people's journeys that have gone on to do big things. And so uh, Tyler unpacks a lot of that stuff and we had a great conversation. Uh, before we jump in, if you want to be on the DJE investor list, you can go to djetexas.com, Delta Juliet Echo, Texas.com, and sign up for a quick call with our team. We can answer any questions and get you on our list so you see future projects. And then if you are looking for coaching, mentorship, and a peer group to accelerate your apartment learning, you can go to apartment educators.com. And we've got a free video course there as well as a community and a lot of content that you could plug in to accelerate your journey in this apartment investing world. So um, without further ado, let's jump into the episode with Tyler. Here we go. Tyler, welcome. How are you? Devin, man, I'm fantastic. It's great to be with you. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Staying, staying busy. And which is kind of the default line, but I guess like the company staying busy, we got a lot of stuff going on. I know you guys do too, which is exciting. Uh, we're talking kind of like mid 2021 right now. Um, and this episode is released right around then as well. Like I, things are generally feeling pretty good. Feels like we're getting back. The world's getting back to it. I'm in Texas. How about your neck of the woods? Is everybody like coming back to life? What's it look like? Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, it is refreshing. Uh, I'm in Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. And um, man, it's uh, 2020 was interesting. Early 2021 was still kind of like lingering effects. I know in Texas is probably a little bit different. I was in Dallas and I think February and I was like, wait a minute, what's going yeah. on here? This is what's interesting. Going on? This is and uh, it was great. It was really refreshing. I was actually at a conference, the first conference that I'd been to since the pandemic. And I was like, man, give me all the crowds, give me this, you know, without mask and all this. And, and it's been really nice, but activities picking up. I think, um, you know, you're seeing a lot of interesting things in the market, of course, but man, no energy is good right now. So I'm excited. Yeah, that's, I think we're coming into a great season here. Uh, cautiously optimistic. Well, listen, before we get too far into it, man, let's kind of back up. And, and I want to give the audience here a sense of your background. And I always like to know how you came to real estate and, and why was there a big turning point for you? But what did that journey look like? Um, kind of pre real estate and getting into real estate for you? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I appreciate the question because of the fact that most people don't start in real estate, right? right? Most people, it's not their first landing spot. It was not for me. Like I started my career in the corporate world, in corporate America. Yeah. And, um, you know, I started in sales and I transitioned into marketing. That's what I went to school for in undergraduate. 
uh, I was, you know, I was a digital marketer and I actually worked for a global restaurant company in launching, uh, you know, really that brand into two, into new markets across the world, which is really exciting as an international marketing specialist. And I was growing and I was getting promotions and things like that, but I also wasn't growing to the, to the degree that I wanted to. And what right. I learned about corporate America was that it was more so about time in the saddle and politics in general, no doubt and effectiveness. And I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't feel right. But I looked around and everyone else is like, you know, it, they had almost been beaten into submission to where, yes. you know, that's what they, that's how it is. And that's how it's going to be. And I was like, maybe there was a little bit of a, um, you know, internal dissonance there. Maybe I was a little bit of a rebel to say, I'm not okay with that. But it took me a few years to really say, I'm not okay with that. And oh, by the way, here's my plan, right? Because my first plan was, hey, I'm going to beef up my resume and I'm going to get out there and I'm going to start interviewing, right? I'm going to start talking to other organizations. It took me a little bit to realize after doing a few interviews, I'm like, oh, I don't love that organization. Don't love that organization. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm just going to get myself into the same mess somewhere else. So I started asking myself more questions and it was all this pain, right? You were talking before the, the conversation, before we started recording today, that every new initiative that you take in your business is likely because of some pain, right? You're solving some pain. And yep. in this situation, I was in pain, right? I was experiencing, you know, some financial struggles a little bit. I mean, I wasn't getting paid what I thought I was worth and, you know, I was growing and I was you know, working full time and even beyond that. And I had a salary position, benefits and all these things. Sure. And I was like, man, I don't know about this. So I started asking questions. Long story short, I learned about real estate. I had bought a house a few years before that. And, you know, the first entrance to real estate that I really experienced was from my realtor, right? And looking at houses. And it was interesting because it's such a primitive thought now kind of looking back. But that's how I entered into this world was my realtor said, hey, look, maybe you should become a realtor. Maybe you should get your license. And so I ended up getting my real estate license and started selling houses on the side. I was doing my corporate job and I was selling houses on the side. And I'm like, man, you know what? This is interesting because I actually doubled my income within six months. And I'm like, wow. okay, that's great. I like yeah. that. But yeah. then the emotional baggage of doing residential real estate Ooh, didn't really yeah. jive with me. And I was like, all right, maybe there's something else and as I walked through that door, I learned more about commercial real estate. I learned more about income producing real estate, which was a totally new world to me. I'd never experienced before. And so I stepped into being a commercial real estate agent. And then I grew as a broker. Along the way, I started investing in real estate because of what Robert Kiyosaki taught me about how the rich look at money and assets and liabilities. And so I was like, wait a minute, if I'm selling multifamily real estate, if I'm selling retail and office real estate, why don't I participate as an investor as well? And so I was able to learn by growing as an agent, then a broker, and I set up my own brokerage company. But as I grew as an investor, that's when I really learned so much more about the power of real estate. And so obviously, I've continued to grow and scale in as a multifamily investor, but that's how I got into it. I love everything about that story, man. There is so much in there. Thank you for the the no doubt condensed recap there. Um, so let's, let's put this in perspective. You know, we talked before we recorded about an upcoming project and, you know, not that you're pitching a deal here or violating SEC things, but just gives us a sense of like the size of the current project that you're working on right now today. Yeah. So we're, we're about to close a 250 unit um, property over in Indiana uh, right Love now. It. It's a value add multifamily project. 
And, um, you know, it's exciting because it's one of these properties that's really been overlooked. You know, there's a lot of front page, I call them front page markets in the United States, right? And, you know, yes. you think of like Atlanta or you think of Dallas or you think of some of these other places that are in the same vein. And, you know, we've been a little bit contrarian in the market that we've chosen for this particular acquisition and it's been overlooked. And so we think there's so much meat on the bone to go in and add value to add value, not only to the community and the people who live there, but also our investors and ourselves, because we invest in every single one of our deals. So this is kind of a C-class multifamily asset that sits in a B submarket, which is great. That's exactly what you look for. And it's almost like, wait a minute, what's the story here? Like, what's the problem? Why, why are we the only ones seeing this? So that's exciting. And that's almost rare in this market. I'm sure you would agree with that, Devin, in, in right. many ways because it's such a competitive marketplace. But that's a deal we're, we're about to close here in the next month or so. But we've got another deal coming up. Uh, it's about 140 units uh, here in Louisville, Kentucky, where I'm located. And it's similar. It's another value add project. It actually has had some value added to it. And it's proven the concept. And we're going to take it to the next level and continue along that trajectory. So that's kind of what we look at. We always like for a property to have some sort of value add, whether it's operationally right. or physically or what have you. And so just trying to be creative to improve not only the, the quality of the asset, but of course the financials uh, in, the, in the performance there. I love it. I love it. So side hustle as a realtor, fast forward, not too far. You're buying 250 units as a, as a principal, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's, that's phenomenal. Congratulations. And uh, I love it. I love uh, nothing fires me up like hearing that st uh, story like that. Right. Um, certainly you are, um, you know, <laughs> super dedicated and working hard, but you've got a framework that, that can get you where you want to be. And I absolutely resonate with that. And it's interesting he hearing you talk about your corporate days. Cause I've been out of the corporate world for six plus years now. I kind of forgot about a lot, like <laughs> how much I hated a lot of that stuff, the politics. Oh my gosh, it was like 80% politics. And that would drive me crazy too, is not, I'm like an efficiency nut. Right. And it wasn't about that. And I'm like, hey, wait, how is this, how is there money left on the bottom line after all these inefficiencies I see and all this politics is amazing. Um, but you know, I love what you said about it. The, the framework of the corporate world was not able to put you where you wanted to be, even if you were really good, right? It's like you're, you're running the wrong race or you have your, the analogy, you have your ladder against the wrong building. Right. And even if you get to the top, you're like, well, man, I got to the top of the wrong building. Like I, I won and the, the prize isn't really what I was after. Right. That's absolutely right. And that, I'm, that's a great analogy because I was climbing that ladder and then I looked around and said, well, wait a minute, let me climb that ladder and let me put my ladder against that other organization. And I realized, well, wait a minute, what am I doing climbing this ladder? So it was a total, like I had to completely question everything that I was taught because I grew up in a middle-class background and it was, yep. it was, hey, go to school, get good grades, get a good job. And then by the time you're 65, you're going to have a 401k and all these different things. Like that was what we were taught. And that's what my parents were taught. That's what our entire society is taught. So I had to rip out those beliefs from the root. And it was not an easy process. It was, it was painful, to be honest with you, because I felt like, well, wait a minute, if that's what I was, if that's what I learned, then what else isn't true? Or what else is maybe not relevant for me? So that was a whole transformation. And as I got into real estate, 
I had to transform even further because man, we're on the front lines of like the emotional roller coaster, you know, oh, yeah. as being entrepreneurs. And of course, yeah. I mean, like real estate, it's like, man, expect the unexpected. There's always going to be something crazy around the next corner. So how are you managing your own emotions and being ready for that? Right. And so, you know, it's, it's just been a transformation, not only from the beliefs and just the reality of, you know, what's, what's going to set us up for a lifestyle that we love rather than just, you know, living that sort of middle-class lifestyle. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. The belief system is such a trap or can be, um, and it's like this invisible trap, right? And it, you're within the corporate environment. I, I kind of talk about it having a lot of gravity and a, it's really hard to get out of the orbit once you're once you're in it, especially if you're making good money and especially if you got a family to support, like it only gets the, the gravity only gets more intense as time goes on. And so to, to burst out of that gravity of that corporate environment, um, when everybody else around you have all this, you have all this uh, pressure and social proof of the, everybody kind of doing this one thing. You know, one of the things I've found is, is peer groups, right? If there's anything I can attribute to the acceleration of my companies, it's, it's, it's intentionally choosing peer groups, right? How was that for you? And, and was, you know, was that something that you sought out or was there a mentor or peer group that helped you kind of make this fairly huge leap to being an entrepreneur? Yes, absolutely. So when I, when I got into real estate as an agent, I worked for a broker, right? There was a broker who directly oversaw me. And he was an individual who I had been friends of my family. So that's how I, that was kind of my connection into the space. And he said, look, if you're going to get into this business, you need a coach. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I've never hired a coach or anything like that. And he's like, here's here. Right. I'll figure it out. You can teach me, right? You're my coach, right? Yeah. But he says, here's the guy who I've worked with before. So I recommend that you work with him. And so when I got involved in this world, I was like, totally transformed. And the reason why was because I didn't know about any of the stuff, even like the basic stuff, right? right? And even just the basic stuff of like learning and growing and understanding your mindset and understanding your commitment and your, you know, consistency and all these things. But I learned through the coach, the power of books and the power of learning. And like, man, when I graduated college, I'll never forget this. When I was I was a senior in college. I was the president of my fraternity and I felt like I was working so hard and I was doing all these things. And man, I was so busy. And I remember when I graduated college, I'm like, oh, I'm retired now. I'm yeah. retired now. All I hard have work's to do is done. Learn. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I never once thought about, you know, hey, I need to learn more. I was just like, look, now right. I got my corporate job and I'll just climb the ladder. Yep. And, but when I got into real estate, what was required of me was to learn and to grow and to build a business based on trust and based on, you know, influence and adding value to other people. And so I had to learn about all of those things. I also had to learn more about myself. I had to learn more about how to effectively negotiate. And so like, I just opened up this labyrinth and like one of the first books, I remember he, my, my coach kept talking about thinking grow rich. And of course, you know, we know all about thinking grow rich and many of the listeners do as well. But when I read that book, man, my eyes were totally crossed. I was like, what is he talking about? Like (laughs) auto suggestion? Like, what are you guys talking about? And so like, I just struggled through that book and I started to apply it. I started to apply it in my life. I was in my, you know, early to mid twenties at the time. And I'm like, man, you know what? I want to, I want a girlfriend. So I was like, I would read the book and I'd go out and like girls would start to be like attracted to me. And it wasn't because of looks or anything like that. It was like my aura, my aura started to change and my energy started to change as corny and goofy as that sounds. It was a total transformation. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, no, I love it. It's, it's, it's the intention of it, right? There's so much in that book. It obviously gets a lot of lip service. Uh, I read that book when I was 14. It made no sense to me. And I read it again and again and again for years and years and years. And I, and I look back now, I'm, I'll be 43 this week. And I'm like, boy, did that book have a profound impact on me. And sometimes I have to, under, I have to, we kind of make the mistake that everybody thinks like we do a lot of the times. And so I go, oh yeah, this is, you know, I make these assumptions and mental leaps and you must too. And it's like, oh no, no, a lot of people don't have that framework like at all whatsoever. Right. I agree. Happy birthday, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I love it. The, the, you know, getting a coach, getting exposed to these new ideas, um, it's, it's kind of a requisite, you mentioned the emotional roller coaster, you know, and that is such a big, especially like those of us that raise capital, right? I think that is a new level of, um, emotional fortitude that's required for that. You know, um, what are some things that have, what's your journey been like there kind of managing, I mean, you know, at some point you're managing millions of dollars of investor capital. And that, that really is a, a profound sacred duty that, that, you shouldn't take on unless you are really up for the, the challenge, right? What is it that? And then of course the acquisitions and operations, I mean, just being an entrepreneur in general, right? It's ups and downs. You kind of have to be ready for all that, but what's helped you kind of deal with that emotional roller coaster as you've gone through your entrepreneurial journey? For me, it just always comes down to doing the right thing, right? Yeah. Doing and treating other people the way that I would expect to be treated and even taking that a step further and really just treating that with delicacy, for lack of a better word, you know, anytime someone trusts in me and our team to invest alongside us and with us in our opportunities, I mean, there couldn't be anything, a greater responsibility, right? But it's also at the same time, it's, hey, you know what, I'm going to over communicate, we're going to be fully transparent, you're going to understand what challenges we're incurring or what challenges we're encountering and you know how things are going right and and also if there are challenges it's not about beating around the bush it's about getting straight to you know that situation so for me it kind of comes down to in terms of like managing that emotional roller coaster honestly for me it's just it just comes down to honesty and understanding that i'm going to be honest in in all capacities right because it's never going to go perfect it's never right. going to go exactly like we talked about, I believe you and I've actually talked about this before. Sometimes a pro forma is just that, right? It's, it's a pro forma. It's not necessarily how reality is going to play out. And yep. hopefully we try to be conservative and, and typically in at many capacities, our pro formas are even outpaced. But at the end of the day, it's about having the understanding that, look, I'm honest, I'm straightforward. I'm who you see is what you get. And for me, it's about playing the long game right? Because totally, I can either cut corners and win in the short term, or I can take every single long turn and I can do it the right way. And that's just the right way to treat people. And you know, the other thing too, is that if I speak to somebody and they say, Hey, you know, I'm interested in this deal, tell me about it and we'll talk about it, but we'll also talk about what, what are their goals and you know, what's their situation look like. And if it doesn't make sense, but maybe we need to raise another $500,000 or another million dollars for our deal. And man, we really need that. We could really use their capital, but if it doesn't make sense for them, it's about having that long-term view approach and saying, look, this doesn't make sense for you right now. And that to me, it's like those little like investments in my own mentality and my own mindset to say, look, I can be trusted not only in terms of sticking with this long-term view, but also I can be trusted in that I always have the best outlook for the people that entrust me with their resources. So I don't know if that makes sense, but those are just a few things. It's really the long-term view that, that really has the most impact. 
Yeah, I love it. I think if you have an investor first approach to building all your company, your whole company, and you have a long-term approach, um, we, we kind of just made that like, that's just the North star. And once, if you do that and I've seen, I've seen other people do it and I'm just copying other people that have done that. You guys are doing that. Uh, there's a little bit of an oversimplification, but the rest kind of takes care of itself. I mean, it really does. It yeah. really does. And so I like that investors first. That's a really good one. Yeah. I mean, it's like, Hey, listen, it's whatever, you know, all our underwriting, everything we do is like, how's this going to impact the investor? What's this going to do for investor? If we can get that part right, what's the investor experience like? Everything else is really going to take care of itself. And so um, that's, that's a, that's a great framework. I love it. Let's talk a little bit about the team. Like what is, um, what's the team look like today uh, when you guys are out going down, you know, taking, taking down these like, 100, 200 unit uh, type deals. Yeah, man. So our team is pretty lean. I mean, for the most part, um, we were talking Love about it. it before. I mean, we've got uh, an analyst uh, consultant that's basically we're on retainer for and they, you know, they underwrite all our deals on our behalf. And of course, we we dive deep. My partner and I are both CCIM trained. And um, so it's really important for us to understand sort of the the nuances, the ins and outs of of the underwriting so that we can either advise or make tweaks on that. But we're not in the weeds. I mean, as you know, I mean, this oh, is yeah. one of the most important pieces of our business. So that's one of our most important key team members um, on all of our assets. We third party property manage right now. Yep. Um, at some point, we'll probably reach a critical mass where it makes sense, you know, as, as I know that you've done uh, in terms of taking management within house, but we've got a great property management company that we work with in our region that we, that we're active in right now. And we've got others that we're, we're targeting and other management uh, companies that we, you know, we have a great relationship with there. And so, um, you know, those are really two of our more important uh, relationship team members. Uh, in terms of investor relations, you know, I actually handle investor relations, but we actually outsource our, um, you know, we have like a, a portal through IMS investor management services. Great. And so that's a really, really important, um, you know, component of our business so that folks can manage their investment, they can manage how they're receiving distributions and, K1s and communication and such. And so that's a leverage point that's really important to us. In addition to that, my business partner and I obviously are very active in the day-to-day -day operation, but we also have an individual on our team who, you know, really handles a lot of admin work for us. Perfect. We have another individual who handles a lot of the marketing, um, whether it's, you know, writing or design or even videos or anything like that on our properties. Um, and we also do outsource some other sort of SEO work. We actually have an individual that we work with and we actually kind of collaborate alongside with and write blogs and do education because our marketing process is all about education-based marketing, right? It's Love it. about yep. doing the podcast and all that stuff. So I also do a podcast. It's called Elevate. And of course, you've been an awesome guest on our show. And so, you know, those are a few things. And of course, we've got people who help us on editing and things like that. But that's basically the team, man. But we, we try to stay lean and mean because it's not about, you know, making this big bloated thing that just really yes. eats up all the resources so that we yep. can be nimble and we can capture opportunities. So that's what our team looks like today. I love it. Yeah, you're able to be nimble. And conversely, you're able to be in a position to not close a deal. And that's really powerful, yes. right? I mean, if you're we, we see organizations that do have just an incredible amount of payroll and recurring overhead. And you, you got to just like jam deals in the pipeline to keep the lights on. And that um, that's fine. I'm not saying that's an inherently bad business model. I'm just saying if you've got a lean, a lean team 
where you've got the division of labor, you've got certain specialists, maybe somebody doesn't need to be on a 40 hour week payroll. It's just a kind of retainer thing. That's it's beautiful. And it keeps your pay, payroll and overhead low. And then um, that you're not forced into a deal. You can be real picky on the acquisition side. Like you want to close every deal that the pencils, but you don't want to be in a position where you have to close a deal this quarter in order to make payroll or whatever. So that's, that's a beautiful model. I love it. Critically important what you just said, because our philosophy is no deal is better than a bad deal. We can be as patient as we need to be, right? If we don't buy a deal this quarter or next quarter, that's okay. I mean, obviously like you and I, it's like, man, we're, 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 we, we love to grow. Like expansion is where we want to be. But if for some reason the deals aren't making sense and the market is not giving us what we need to make sense in terms of the risk reward ratio, then let's keep looking. So yeah, that's so critically important. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And I'm always fascinated by, you know, you can, a a smart entrepreneur with the right team and the, and the right peer group and the right drive for it can build a substantial set of assets and a substantial amount of investors on a, on a relatively small team. You know, it's not like you have some huge C-suite that is commanding all these millions of dollars in salary and, and all this stuff, but you can go out and buy some, some meaningful deals and you're competing with much, much bigger institutions. And in some ways you're able to complete back to your point about being nimble. You might be a little faster. You might be, you might be the first guy on the ground. You, you mentioned you're going to tour a property after this podcast, right? Um, right. And so that, that nimbleness, the responsiveness with, with sellers and everything and brokers, I'm sure is an advantage for you guys. Yeah. And, you know, also being hands-on, I think is important, right? right? Like right. we're not outsourcing touring properties. We're not outsourcing, you know, conversations with brokers or even investors because the core to our philosophy is that our relationships are everything, right? All, you know, yes. there's certainly things that we can streamline and we can scale and we can improve in terms of our operations, in terms of some of the inner workings of, you know, whether it's admin or otherwise, but we cannot outsource our relationships. And I don't believe we ever will. We never will outsource our relationships, whether it's deal facing or equity facing or even debt facing, right? So what, yep. what are those, what are those different components? So, you know, being nimble and being a lean team allows us to have a very hands-on approach. Like my business partner and I will both be at this property today to yep. decide, Hey, you know, look, this is ours for the taking. Do we want this deal? And why do we want it? And really digging in even to the comps. It's like, let's go look at these comps and really trust, but verify our assumptions here and decide if we want to put investor capital, our capital at risk, you know, right. to capture the potential upside. So I think it's really important. Yeah, I love it. I love the hands-on approach. Speaking of the kind of the capital, the debt and the equity, what does a typical capital stack on a project look like for you guys? Is it pretty straightforward? Is it is it different layers of equity? What does that look like for you guys these days? These pretty days? Pretty straightforward for the most part. I mean, obviously, you know, we, we live in a changing marketplace. It's always evolving. But, you know, in terms of equity, we don't do two classes of investors. At least at this stage, we have not. Um, you know, we, we're considering that in some of the more aggressive submarkets that we look at, I think it, it always helps um, sure. to be more competitive, but right now we're just one standard, you know, size of equity and yep. um, you know, pretty straightforward, pretty standard across the industry there. Um, but in terms of how we finance our deals from a debt perspective, of course, that's deal unique and specific, but, you know, depending on the particular opportunity, I mean, what we've looked at more recently in many of the deals over the past several months has been, uh, bridge financing and, and debt funds to uh, to maximize leverage and 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 overall to be as competitive as possible. But sure. you know also uh, you know GSEs have gotten back in the game and in the mix as of late 
removing a lot of those COVID reserve requirements, which obviously impacted cash on cash in a big way. Big uh, way. So yeah. that's typically what our, our capital stack has looked like. Yeah. So pretty straightforward setup then that's, yeah. that's good. And it's always, the debt market's always changing and the bridge stuff like totally went away a year ago and now it's roaring back. And so you kind of evaluate that deal by deal. So you guys are just doing, Hey, if it's a $3 million equity raise, you put it out to your investors with a, what a hundred K minimum and just, you know, first come first serve. Yeah. So we typically do 50 K minimum yep. and it is, yeah, it's a great, great example. So we just raised in that ballpark about 3.2 million as a 50 K minimum. And we typically offer a preferred return paid on a monthly basis Love and it. a percentage of the upside. And we typically have an incentivization there when we reach a certain internal rate of return, when we outperform projections, then we're incentivized and that waterfall then goes to a, to a different split. But yep. um, that's in an alignment with the long-term relationship, right? We want people totally. to know that we're incentivized to perform and outperform those projections. And when we do that, we re reap those benefits as well. And, and they also participate in that upside. So that's typically how it's structured. And, and for the most part, we like to keep it pretty simple from that perspective. Yeah, I think that helps. I, I mean, I'm sure you guys have all uh, types of investors from really uh, savvy guys that are in passive investors in 20 deals around the country to that dentist that is like the first time investor going like, is this even real? Like we can all <laughs> so own true. this apartment complex and you need to be able to explain to that guy in like 30 seconds what the, how it works, you know? Um, yes. And so I, I've, we, I've just aired. In fact, I, I, every deal we do, I feel like our decks and our materials are getting like simpler. <laughs> so uh. <laughs> I think there's like a, there's an, there's an inclination in the beginning to kind of strut your stuff and like, Oh man, I look at all this stuff I know about finance and everything. But sometimes investors like, ah, it's going over my head, right? Like what's the, what's the net here? You know, what am I getting every month? How long are we in the deal? What's it going to do for me overall? What's, what's it mean for my taxes? Like, you know, what's in it for me, right? So Exactly right, man. I Simplicity think, I think, is the ultimate sophistication, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, any idiot can can complicate it and put out a 150-page deck that look like, uh, you know, some MBA uh, uh, consultant put it together. And it's just like a confusion, mass confusion. <laughs> so simplicity is... I love it. It's, it's, it's actually hard to do. And if you could pull it off, that's, that's great. Um, I love it, man. So you, I mean, you've built the, built the team doing deals, got a team structure together. You're hosting the podcast. How's that gone? And how long, you know, how long have you been doing that? And what's the experience as a podcast host been like for you? Man, I tell you what, I've grown tremendously as a podcast host, as a person, you know, sure. just to be able to listen and to be able to engage in a conversation so anybody that's listening, that's thinking about starting a podcast, I recommend it. And I'm sure you would as well, Devin. But relationships across the board has been phenomenal. Um, but I've been doing the podcast now for near, it's called Elevate. It's all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal growth for high-performing real estate investors. Love and it. we talk with folks like yourself who are high-performing real estate investors. We also talk with people like Seth Godin. We talk with people like Dave Asprey. No kidding. You had Seth Godin on your show? Oh yeah, baby. That's so awesome. Congrats, man. Thank you, man. We've had some incredible people and we talk about, you know, it's really a multidisciplinary approach to learning and growing because I don't know about you, but if we want to create big things in real estate, or if we want to capture great opportunities, we've got to be able to train ourselves from a multifaceted approach, right? We have to understand psychology. We have to understand history. We have to understand economics, math, 
you know, all of these different things, biology, finance, HR, I mean, on and on. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to be a high performer, it's about really collecting all of this so you can be innovative, so you can be thoughtful. And so that when a rare opportunity comes, you can leap forward with tremendous vigor, right? It's not about, you know, taking every opportunity that comes your way, but it's about seeing an advantage. And so it's not just about being a high performing real estate investor, but it's about designing a life, right? Because we get into real estate, not for just money, but we get into real estate for the lifestyle that it can provide and design for us. So that's what Elevate's all about, man. But I tell you what, I've learned so much. I continue every single day. It's a challenge, man. You, you step, you turn that microphone on. It's like, all right, you have to be authentic. You have to be real. And so it's just caused me to become a better communicator, a better listener. Um, I tell you what, my network has grown exponentially as a result, no because you the relationships that you build as a result of just having these conversations, man, like you and I like next time I see you in San Antonio, like we're grabbing a beer, like there's no totally, doubt in yeah. my mind. Yep. So it's just so fun, man. Yeah, it is. There's there's such a weird I, I, I debated on starting a podcast for a long time. And finally, I said, well, if it never got one, if it never got a single download, would there still be upside to it? And uh, obviously for the guests, that wouldn't be great. But for me personally, I was like, yeah, it'd still be a win. The connection, the learning, the, the you know, I mean, you learn something every time you're meeting, meeting new people all over the country, like-minded people that you're not just going to run into at a, at a coffee shop or whatever. So like that, that part of it is, is, is huge, man. So I'm glad, I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, and that's, I like that you can kind of branch out to some different types of guests too. That keeps it fun for you, keeps it fun for your audience talk about, you know, just growing your network. I mean, I tell people that um, I'm either coaching or, you know, that are younger. It's like your kind of your hierarchy of priorities is network first, number one, and then two, your skills and knowledge, and then your capital, right? Like mm. the capital is going to come, you're going to get there, but like protect your network. Like it is the number one pri priority and your reputation. Right. And that it, it's all, all revolves around that. I wish somebody sat down when I was 22 and told me that because I can look back on some days in my corporate career where I was, I was not thinking that way, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, have learned, have learned better, but um, I love it, man. Well, congrats on the, on the success of the podcast. Um, well, let's wrap it up. I want to, I want to leave people a kind of a link to get to reach out to you, connect with you uh, other than the, the podcast. What's a good avenue for, for them to do that? Yeah. I mean, I would imagine most of your folks are real estate investors. So just go check out our CF Capital website. It's cfcapllc.com. We have a um, an ebook actually that we've created. It's the top 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. So awesome. if anybody's looking for some free education, you know, we offer that. So folks just go to cfcapllc.com to find that. Um, of course, Elevate Podcast. If you're listening to podcasts, go check that out as well. It's free and 100% exciting and fun, just like this podcast. So you can go check that out anywhere you listen to podcasts or elevatepod.com. I love it, man. Well, you guys are putting out some great content. You're doing great things out there. Um, thank you for jumping on and sharing the story. And here's to continued success. Thanks, Devin. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope you have a great day, my friend. Awesome. Good luck on the tour. Appreciate it, man. All right, we'll see you. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. I hope you found that educational, entertaining, inspiring, all of the above. If you are interested in seeing future DJE investment projects and you are not already on our list and in our portal, uh, you can go to the website, djetexas.com. There's a little button there to schedule a 15-minute call with our team. 
answer any questions you have and make sure you get on that list to see that next project that comes out. Also, if you're interested in being uh, an investor that runs these deals, we've got a free seven module course for you at apartmenteducators.com. Uh, a lot of great free content there to ramp up your education in the multifamily investing space. Once again, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We always appreciate a five-star review that helps the reach of the show. That's one way you can give back if you enjoyed it and we'll see you on the next one. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE Podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.